Hello, welcome. Thank you for listening to First Responders Psychological Support. My name is Sarah Gura, and I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor, an EMDR therapist, and a yoga teacher at the Self Care Path in Burridge, Illinois, where I treat first responders. This is season three, episode 12, policy part two. But I do believe I have a part three and four coming up. But before I get into that, let's take a nice deep breath in. And on the exhale, just allow the body to release any tension, giving it some relief, some rest, maybe some recovery, restoration. As you pull the shoulders down and away from the ears, maybe folding those shoulder blades down your back, aligning or straightening the spine so it has some integrity, maybe knitting the rib cage over the hips. It's a really neat design when you are sitting up straight or laying down straight. The rib cage just sets nicely over everything. And maybe take a moment to spread the toes and stretch if you can. Maybe you're laying down or if you're standing up, root down through your feet. And just see if you can get yourself in a posture that feels pretty good for listening. What I really want to talk about, you know, in this particular episode is about the, like the core of the policy. I know the last episode was a lot of my emotion about the chaos and the disorganization, and I wanted to get that out there. And I wondered, you know, do I want it to be that raw, you know, of a podcast? But I do. That's the purpose of a podcast. I think it's honest. Uh, But now I want to give you some direct guidance. So what we need for sure is policy instead of one house bill after another. And it's different in every state, which is just confusing and ridiculous and politically driven, you know. And what, what we should be focusing on as a first responder group is policy that covers the career span And it should be predictable, it should be fair, and it should be the same for everyone. It should follow the make it safe standard, which I talk about in season one. It should also follow the life safety initiative. The life safety initiative number 13 is on the fire side, but it should apply to all first responders. It states that firefighters and their family members must have access to counseling and psychological support services. But again, we should have that for police, fire, dispatch, and even emergency department nurses. We learned back after 9-11 just how much we don't take care of first responders. It is several years later, and we are still being pretty bogus about that. And we're taking more criticism. The communities around us are applying a lot of pressure And we refuse to listen to the fact that we need psychological health just as much as we need physical health. So again, these policies have to cover the career span. They have to be predictable, fair, and the same for everyone. We need to make it safe, and we should follow that life safety initiative. Now, 
We also have to make sure that this policy is relevant to first responders. You guys like to cut and paste. You talk about not reinventing the wheel. Well, guess what? This wheel hasn't exactly been invented yet because you resist the shit out of it. And even though I feel like it's my whole world and I've been doing this for 12 years, uh, whole world when it comes to my career, that is, uh, we, we, we just haven't done anything that has that that is sticking right so when i talk about policy that is relevant to the first responder careers we have to include their culture and where they're at so there's something in the psychology field that says you have to meet your client where they're at which a lot of people don't understand but if everyone could just meet you where you're supposed to be we wouldn't need any of this conversation in the first place So we have to admit that the first responder culture has to be met where it's at. Each state has a different culture. Each city has a different culture. If you are a rural department or a city department, a paid on call department, a volunteer, full-time union, non-union, a combination department, that's a culture, that's a thing that we have to consider per department and how everyone's going to be treated. We also have to have a policy that honors the integrity of the psychology profession. Again, this is a well-researched, well-practiced, scientific um, profession, and it is not treated that way by anyone in the first responder culture. It's pretty disgusting. So again, what we're looking for is policy that is relevant to the first responders and where they are at, as well as a policy that honors the integrity of the psychology profession. We also have to take a look at the psychology profession and we must begin to understand that there are many roles and different specialties within my field you are most likely going to run into licensed clinical social workers and licensed clinical professional counselors in the state of Illinois as the treating therapist. This is the person that's going to see you week after week to do the mental health counseling. You may run into a psychologist that has a PsyD, it's called, a doctorate in psychology that will do psychological testing. You may run into a psychologist that has their PhD that is also a doctorate degree, but they often do a lot of research and education in our field, not so much the testing or the counseling work. That's why they got that specific degree. We also have neuropsychologists. Those are people that study the literal brain structure and the brain structure's function. So that is different than a psychologist that has their PhD or their PsyD. And then of course we have psychiatrists, which are MDs, and they prescribe psychiatric medicines, psychotropic medicines is what I also wanted to say. So sometimes what I see is like this weird language um, in the first responder world because they don't know what social worker means, counselor, therapist, psychologist, and neuropsychologist or psychiatrist means. And we really need to start using that language correctly because I have seen papers come in from lawyers using the wrong language and it's confusing. 
And sometimes in the past, I just let it go because I knew what they meant. But if we're going to go forward, like we need to respect what's already established in my field. So the psychology profession has many roles and many specialties. And I'll tell you that first responder behavioral health is not a specialty yet. Now, in the last podcast, I mentioned that I tried to do that several years ago. I wrote a first responder clinician training course, and it was approved by the National Board of Certified Counselors as a continuing education program. I think I taught about 17 different people uh, that program, and they had to sit through 40 hours of lecture. They had to do 40 hours of ride-along time, and they had to do 40 hours of clinically supervised counseling sessions with first responders. And as I said before, I am not doing that. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the job for me. Um, but we need to consider that we can't just have someone come in and treat a population that doesn't know anything about the population. Um, we need to consider that first responder behavioral health is a specialty area. That's even why we have psych tests that are normed on first responders. But again, I think we need to have an initial course of some kind and we have to have continuing education for any counselors, psychologists, or even psychiatrists about first responder behavioral health. And moving on to something that I just hinted at, another thing about policy is all psych testing must be normed on first responders unless I think it's at the beginning of the career. When you're you know, 21 to 25 years old, um, or maybe you're even older and applying later in life, doing a general population psych test makes sense to me. But as I said before, we'll let the psychologists debate that out. Um, but once you have experienced your first year, uh, and that includes your probie rookie year, you and you had a psychological injury, for example, and you are going to be psychologically evaluated or tested, then we should be using always 100% of the time psych tests that are normed on first responders. That is fair. And it's also, it gives the test results integrity. I know if I was someone's lawyer, I would be asking, is this psych test relevant uh, and valid for the person that you're evaluating? Another thing that policy needs to cover is the fit for duty and the fit for duty needs to follow mental health law. We kind of toss that term around also as if it doesn't have a specific meaning in my field or legally in my field. So there is no counselor that can restrict a first responder. So if you call me and say, do you think they're fit for duty? I can't say if they are or not. A fit for duty, as I have been taught, is a coveted term that requires a specific evaluation with specific outcomes. And when we don't follow that and we ask independent medical examiners to cross the line, uh, I think that's really unethical. Uh, and it's also illegal. But the way that we get away with that is we do these IME evaluations. We don't call them fit for duties, but we are talking about their ability to do work. So again, that's not my specialty area. We need to talk to some psychologists and even mental health lawyers to help us understand 
exactly what's going on with that clusterfuck. But I can tell you that the testing should be normed on first responders. Again, that would be fair when it comes to a fit for duty. And there are only one of four outcomes. So when I read a psychologist's report and I don't see that language, if I don't see fit for duty and I don't see one of four, I often wonder, I'm like, gosh, I have no way of finding out like if this is ethical or not. I can encourage the lawyer to find out, but everybody looks at me like, who cares? So the bottom line is I care. We care. Yay. We're all going to care. Uh, so the one of four outcomes I mentioned before is you are fit for duty. You may go back to work. Number two, you are fit for duty, but I really recommend that you do a couple of these things. That evaluating psychologist works with the therapist to complete those recommendations. Again, in my field, we like to work together. When we hire psychologists that like to fight with each other, I kind of get suspicious. Number three, you can be not fit for duty and you cannot go back. And the fourth option is not fit for duty and you can't go back until you fulfill these recommendations. And again, if there's recommendations that evaluating psychologist and the therapist work together to get that guy uh, back on the job. And in Illinois, guy means gal or dude. How do we like that? Okay. So very important part there. The next point about a policy is you have to have a paragraph or something about the hiring process. So I mentioned it before. I think it makes sense that we use a general population test and we keep that test that's done before the career as the baseline for the entire career. So you can't throw it out. You can't get rid of it. It goes in their file should they ever have a workman's comp issue, a pension, a disability, or a fit-for-duty issue, the psychologist can look at what were they like before the job. Super important in doing relevant and valid research on a person so that you can evaluate them and write a report. But once again, who am I? <laughs> the next bullet point I think that your policy should include is about academy, that all academies must teach about the psychological risks and dangers of the first responder careers. And you should be required to have the same resources in the academy as you would the department. So that makes sense, right? We're, we're being consistent. You can't like just be assholes at academy and then all of a sudden you're safe at the department. Mental health is relevant from beginning to end. Another bullet point in your policy could say, during the probie and rookie year, is it's the same. You're going to get the same mental health support, but we will add during your probie and rookie year a spouse support program for your probie rookie wife or husband. We want to teach them about acute stress disorder, about post-traumatic stress disorder because of the potentially traumatic events and all the exposures that are going to happen. It happens to the family too. If you go back to season one, I talk about sickness, the spontaneous intrusive cognition symptoms and potentially traumatic events, as well as trauma bonding and all that other stuff. We need to teach families about this. We need to talk about family planning and shift work and how that affects families and raising children. In some ways, it's almost like having a divorce, but not a divorce, if I can just put it really quickly. 
because one day dad is there and one day he's not, or one day mom is present and the next one she's not, or she's gone for several hours in a row, you know, and she, she doesn't come back when, when you thought that she would come back. Mom or dad, of course. My puppy's barking. He's always sitting next to me. So, Shadow, calm down about this policy stuff, bro. Calm it down. Oh, now he's going to cough on himself. I'm such an exciting podcaster, aren't I? <laughs> Do you hear that? So, anyway, Provies and Rookie Year. I am so not stopping this and trying to re record. I mentioned teaching the family about acute stress disorder, PTSD family planning, shift work, uh, raising children. And I guess I also want to say that, you know, spouses don't get a swearing in ceremony. They don't get an award ceremony. But first responder families are different. And there's a lot of sacrifice. And community members never consider that. Not that I've seen on a significant or relevant level anyway. And we oftentimes forget to include spouses and the children in processing some of the things that are different in first responder families. So I think that that should be a part of the policy. Uh, Even if you have a family focus day uh, once a year or something where the kids can come in and see where does my parent sleep and what does my parent do um, and how can I spend some quality time with you know, the crew members uh, so that everybody knows who everybody is. Because if you're going to talk about family and brotherhood, I think we should act like it a little bit more and go ahead and even make that policy for a department. Even if it's just to not only show off, you know, that you have it together, you know, my hope is that you do, uh, but also to create a culture where everyone admits like this shit's difficult and we're going to do it the best that we can and we have each other's backs. So I digress a little bit there. The next bullet point I think that your policy should also have is in your annual training plan, we will always yearly have psychological support topics and we can have clinicians from the surrounding area come in and teach about Anything from anger, anxiety, depression, trauma, um, communication skills, relationship issues, uh, anything like that, just so that people are a little bit more aware uh, about how to take good care of themselves in mind, body, and spirit. The next bullet point that I think your policy should have is an annual behavioral health review. So Uh, Again, in Northern Illinois, I have some departments that on even years, they do physical health evaluations, and on odd years, they do psychological health evaluations. And when they do that, what I do is see the first responder. I do an initial behavioral health review, and that takes me about 50 minutes where I ask them questions about their history personal and professional. And then I use the next half hour to describe what I think, what I would recommend for them to work on or to be more aware of, and even do some psych education about first responder mental health. And so that's just something that they can do to check in with themselves and to create a little bit of a relationship with a clinician that's nearby in case they needed it. Another bullet point on your policy should be that you always have a resource folder 
with current contact information and everybody is up to date on their continuing education. And um, we have like different categories called uh, peer support, critical incident stress management, chaplains, clinicians, psychiatrists, group services, anything from AA programs for first responders to trauma groups maybe that can meet just to talk, you know, if you do the coffee and donut thing. You need to have a list of rehabs that you have, you know, interviewed and checked out, as well as hospitals that you know have uh, a psychiatric unit and build a relationship with all of those groups. The next bullet point that I want you to consider in your policy is that you have a high-risk intervention plan. High-risk categories include what are you going to do if a member is suicidal, homicidal, if you suspect or know that they are abusing somebody, so spouse abuse, domestic violence, child abuse, or elderly abuse especially. Uh, We also consider alcohol and drugs a high-risk problem. You can do other addictions uh, if, if in case, you know, it is sabotaging that person uh, or it's illegal. Obviously, we need to make sure that we are preserving the integrity of our police and fire departments. Now, one high-risk intervention plan, I'm going to nickname it this, and maybe you can come up with something better, but I call it the rotten apple intervention. So every now and then we get one guy who has a shitty attitude He's ruining the morale of the department or of a specific shift, and uh, we have to have some kind of intervention. Man, Shadow, you're going to be popular for your hacking, bro. All right, he's a little pug, you guys, and he's 13 at the time of this podcast, so we're going to cut him a break and tell him we love him anyway. All right, so the next bullet point, though, is covering any duty-related or non-duty-related psychological injury. So when I say covering, I'm not saying you're responsible for it. I'm just saying that your policy needs to address what happens if there is a non-duty psych injury. You know, that happens to human beings. Trauma can happen outside of work too. And just because they had a bad day shouldn't mean that they don't have any support from work. And we really need to take a look at mental health days, bereavement days, uh, to help someone recover when there's a stressful incident. Now there's also that duty-related psych injury, so having a, a bullet point about that as well could be very, very helpful. Now in either case, a duty-related or non-duty, uh, non-duty psych issue or injury is going to bring up at least four categories that I know of. What happens if it's duty or non-duty related and there's a fit for duty problem? Like we definitely have a documented work performance issue. How are you going to handle that? What about a disability? What if that psych injury, whether it happened at work or not, causes a disability? They're no longer able to do the job. How are we going to write a policy about that? How about how do we go through workman's comp? (laughs) Because that's where it's going to start if there's a duty-related psych injury. And they don't even have a form for a psychological injury. It's super insulting. It's stupid. Um, Form 45, I think, as we all know in Illinois, 
is really based on a physical evaluation. It doesn't have any integrity for a psychological injury or for a psychology professional to be filling that out. Now, can I improvise? Of course I can. I'm an intelligent woman. I can do that. However, there should be a separate form that is legal and realistic and, again, preserving the integrity of the psychology field. The fourth category is pensions. You know, what are we going to do in a psych injury situation, whether it's duty related or not in that case? So a quick summary is that we need a fit for duty, disability, workman's comp, and pension policy written so that we can be fair and predictable and the same across the board. Now, another bullet point that I'm going to save for the next podcast here is about we cannot mandate. Um, We cannot mandate people to go to counseling. The reason for that is that's really unethical. I'll give you an example. I had a fire department lawyer call me one time and say, we're going to make this guy come to see you. We're writing up that he has to complete 40 therapy sessions. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Like, I can't be his punishment. Like, that's crazy. I mean, I would be rich. I'd make a lot of money. I'd be like, hell yeah, send that guy over 40 sessions. Uh, I'll get paid for each one. And maybe I'll even say he's not done at the end of 40 if I was a bad person. So firefighters, fire chiefs, police chiefs, police officers, lawyers, Anybody who is not a psychology professional cannot prescribe the treatment. So the ethics go in my field that I have to do an evaluation of you. I have to determine what your diagnosis is. I have to create a treatment plan for you. And then I have to execute that treatment plan and evaluate your progress as you go. And you might be done in three sessions. You might be done in 30 sessions. You might be done in one year. Maybe it'll take three. But like, dang it, you guys can't tell me what to do or how to do my job. Otherwise, people are going to say she's just trying to make money off of first responders. And I, I'm so not going to tolerate that. Like that, That's a good way to piss me off. So yes, I have thoughts and feelings myself. And at that, what I'm going to do is end this episode. We have more bullet points on what should be considered uh, for the policy that we don't have written yet. I do want to add or say that I have an idea for each one of these bullet points about how it should be written. But to be honest, I am a busy woman. and I, I don't want to sit on a Saturday and like write each and every one of these out. Plus, I would have to do some research and find out what the actual law is. I would have to talk to some psychologists. I would have to get other therapists on board. And uh, like I said, I don't have that kind of time, and I'm certainly not going to get paid for that kind of volunteer work. And so that's also part of the concern when people are asking, like, well, why don't you just write it or can you just send me something? It's like, oh, dear God, that would be a rough draft that would have to go through a lot of stuff. And then I would have to be there to consult all along the way. So another reason why we don't have a policy, you guys, is because we're not paying for people's professional time to do it. And we don't even seem to know what should be in it. But I'm trying my best to tell you what I think should be in it based on my experience. So anyway, I hope that this was helpful 
I'm going to try to record part three next and see where that lands me. So take a nice deep breath in on that, Sarah. <laughs> and exhale. And I'll remind you to take good care, to do life so it doesn't do you, and to stay safe. But I did just forget to tell you, my name is Sarah Gura, that I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor at the Self-Care Path in Burridge, Illinois, where I treat first responders. Now take good care, stay safe, and do life so it doesn't do you. Okay, bye-bye.